Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about why you can blame redlining for U.S. cities being so segregated, why Earth's magnetic pole is drifting every year, and how virtual therapy can be just as effective as in-person therapy. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Segregation was outlawed in the United States more than 50 years ago. Yet neighborhoods and cities across the country are still segregated by race. That's not an accident. It's due to redlining, which is the totally legal, government-created policy of residential segregation in the United States. Here's how it all started. It all goes back to the New Deal, a program started in 1933 that was meant to bring the United States out of the Great Depression and into an era of prosperity. It's where we got Social Security and unemployment benefits and federally insured bank deposits. It's also where we got the idea of the 30-year mortgage. That came out of the National Housing Act of 1934, which aimed to make homeownership more accessible by insuring loans made by private banks. That law created the Federal Housing Administration, which encouraged lenders to fund new construction, and the Homeowners Loan Corporation, or HOLC, which made mortgages affordable. Of course, the government wasn't just giving away free money. They wanted to make sure loans went to the people who would pay them back. That's where the racist policy of redlining came in. The HOLC created color-coded maps reflecting the economic risk of different neighborhoods. The quote-unquote best areas were green, blue was more white-collar, yellow was working class, and red areas were what they called hazardous. This is where poor whites, immigrants, and black residents lived. But these weren't just low-income areas. Neighborhoods where wealthy black celebrities lived were redlined too. Banks routinely denied loans in redlined areas. So landlords abandoned those properties. City services like public transportation stopped serving those neighborhoods. Property values plummeted. And because property values are intimately linked to public school funding, the schools suffered too. Basically, redlining created poor neighborhoods in majority black areas, which led to underfunded schools, more poverty, lower quality health care, and more black people ending up in prison. Following the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968, Congress passed the Fair Housing Act. The policy was intended to prevent discrimination in the sale, rental, or financing of a home. But the damage was already done. Property values were already unequal, and they remain that way today. Even in 2020, it's harder for a black person to get a mortgage or a loan than it is for a white person. Banks have been caught using redlining maps as recently as 2017. But some politicians are hoping to help. Surprisingly, by using those same redlining maps to offer home loan assistance to residents of formerly redlined areas. It could be a small step toward reversing a problem that's embedded in the fabric of our cities. I can't believe that was legal, ever. I know. There's a lot in our history that's pretty shocking. Let's talk about the weird science of Earth's magnetic poles. Compasses point north. But if you started walking toward the direction of where the compass needle is pointing, you wouldn't end up at the North Pole. Not the one you see on a globe, anyway. And that's because Earth has two North Poles. The geographical one, at its axis of rotation, and the magnetic one, which is where your compass points. This point is in northern Canada. For now. And I say for now because unlike the geographic North Pole, the magnetic North Pole is drifting. 
And ever since scientists located Earth's magnetic North Pole in 1831, they've known that it moves. At that point, it was near the northern tip of Canada. And for decades afterward, scientists watched it stagger around the Canadian Arctic at a rate of about 15 kilometers or 9 miles per year. But in 1970, the magnetic North Pole's movement accelerated. It started zooming north at 50 to 60 kilometers, or about 30 to 40 miles per year. In 2017, it zipped past the geographic North Pole, and now it's moving south over the other side of the planet towards Siberia's north coast. To help you understand why this is happening, let me back up and explain why we have magnetic poles in the first place. It's thanks to our planet's core, which has two layers. The inner core is a solid, pressurized mass of iron, about the size of the moon and as hot as the surface of the sun. The outer core is mostly liquid iron. The churning of hot liquid around solid metal creates a magnetic field that surrounds the planet and shields it against high-energy radiation from space. The planet's rotation gives that churning a direction, which is why its two magnetic poles are roughly located at either pole of rotation. It's kind of like we have a bar magnet inside the planet, with each end pointing towards each pole. But unlike a bar magnet, this magnet is, you know, liquid. It doesn't stay put. As a result, there are small anomalies in the magnetic field at different points on Earth. Scientists studying our magnetic North Pole have found that its movement seems to line up with two big anomalies in the Earth's mantle, one around northern Canada and one around Siberia. At the moment, the one around Canada is weakening its grip on the pole, so the pole is heading straight for the one around Siberia. Movement of the Earth's poles is not a new phenomenon. In fact, over geologic time, it's a relatively regular event. Even full geomagnetic reversals happen, where the magnetic north and south pole switch places around every 200 to 300,000 years. And the last reversal event was 780,000 years ago, more than twice the length of the previous interval. Maybe it's about time we switched again? Man, I don't want to buy another compass. <sighs> My compass expenses are through the roof. You know, when I first moved to the city and I didn't have a smartphone, my dad gave me his grandfather's compass. The train stations in Chicago didn't all have compasses in the ground at that point. So sometimes I would get off a train to go to like a job interview or something. And I'm like, I have no idea which direction I'm supposed to go because I'm just walking around with my printout from, you know, MapQuest or whatever, which has the directions written down. And I would actually use the compass. So I actually used the compass when I moved to Chicago in 2007. Nice. Living through a global pandemic is not great for anyone's mental health. And if you've considered talking to a therapist lately, you're not alone. But since most health professionals have transitioned to telemedicine for the foreseeable future, virtual therapy is your best bet for psychological support. Luckily, studies have found that talking to a therapist online can be just as effective as in-person therapy. The most recent evidence comes from the Karolinska Institute in Sweden in a study published last month. A team of researchers there directly compared the effects of in-person and internet-based cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, for adults suffering from health anxiety. That's surprisingly appropriate for our current situation, given that the treatment took place years before the pandemic hit and the whole world was worried about catching a virus. Yeah. So for the study, half of the participants received face-to-face -face therapy once a week. 
the other participants logged on to an online portal where they could email their therapist anytime and also access a guided self-help text whenever they wanted. At the end of the 12-week experiment, the researchers determined that internet-based therapy was no less effective than in-person CBT. Both methods helped participants make the changes they wanted, but the online option came at a much lower cost for both the therapist and the patient. The professionals only spent about 10 minutes per week on each internet-based patient, compared to an average of 45 minutes per week for patients they saw in person. And for those receiving therapy, communicating with a therapist online eliminated barriers to access, like time and distance. Of course, there are some downsides to seeing a therapist online. If someone hasn't met their therapist in person before starting virtual sessions, they may have a hard time opening up. Nonverbal cues like body language are also lost in therapy conducted via phone or email, although video chat can offer a middle ground. But these trade-offs may be worth it for people living in places where the nearest professional may be hours away, or for people who just can't afford the expense of traditional therapy. Even people who would say they're too busy for therapy because of work or parenting responsibilities may be able to find time to see someone virtually. And at a time when more people than ever are staying home, online therapy may be the safest and most convenient option we've got. Let's recap what we talked about today. Well, U.S. cities are so segregated in part because of redlining. The Homeowners Loan Corporation basically drew maps categorizing homeownership loans based on risk, and those maps were very racially biased. In editing this, I found out that Duke Ellington, of all people, was living in a redlined neighborhood, which is incredible to me because Duke Ellington's a legend. He was like a super celebrity. Man. And we learned that Earth's magnetic poles actually move around because our magnetic field comes from the interaction of our solid inner core and our liquid outer core, which flows like liquid. And sometimes our poles can even flip completely every few hundred thousand years or so. And we also learned that research suggests that cognitive behavioral therapy can be just as effective virtually as it is in person. Have you ever done virtual therapy? I actually broke up with my last therapist in like February or something. And then after the pandemic hit a few weeks in, I'm like, oh, I got to find a new one. So I did. And I've only had online sessions with him. And they've been far more productive than my in-person sessions with my previous therapist. Really? Yeah. They're all over video chat. And I will say, if you have roommates or family members that you live with, maybe try to ensure that they're not... I don't know, streaming something on Netflix or taking a class on Zoom or something during your session, because that's really been the only thing is like if one of our Internet is really unstable and it drops out a lot, that's very frustrating, at which point you can switch to the phone. But but I, I really prefer the video interaction. I can't imagine saying something that's like really tough to express and then just having silence. And then you realize, oh, their their video cut out. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, the anxiety that I, that would produce. Yeah, that would be bad. For the most part, that, that hasn't really happened. So, um, you know, give it a shot if you feel like now would be a good time to get a little bit of help figuring out your mental health. Because now is a pretty trying time. Yeah, I feel like we all need it. Today's stories were written by Steffi Drucker, Cameron Duke, and Andrea Michelson, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Curious.